Again, that's 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 21 on 1180 in the Black Pew Bible. Beginning in verse 17. As for the rich in the present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you, and avoid the irreverent and irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By, for by professing it, some have swerved from faith. Grace be with you. First Timothy chapter 6. We're going to finish up this letter. Um, we're going to be in verses 17. Um, teach through 17 through 21, what Bryce just read for us. That's our teaching text. Being good stewards of God's riches and, and his words. Um, previously, chapter 6, we saw that folks who aren't rich but want to be were addressed, right? God tells us through the Apostle Paul, godliness with contentment is great gain. It's something that Chris brought up to us in our confession time. If, you're, if your godliness has freed you from the desire to be rich and helped you to be content with what you have, you're, then your godliness is immensely profitable. John Piper, he says, godliness that overcomes the craving for material wealth produces great spiritual wealth. So what verse 6 is, is saying is that it benefits us not to pursue prosperity. Okay? And then verse 11 of chapter 6 tells us to flee from the desires to make money. That flee is one of those action verbs from last week's text. Flee from what? Flee from Really could say, you could sum it up, say flee for, from covetousness, right? Wanting what other people have. And when we get drawn into the love of money and the idol of wealth, right? Um, it's just easy to do in our affluent culture. It just kind of sucks us in. Sometimes we think, too, when you think about money, we think about the only, a lot of times the only sin associated with money is either theft or fraud, but there's the sin of materialism, right? And there's this omnipresent temptation in our culture to, to make what we have a, a, an idol. It's continuous. But I, but I do want to, as we talk about money, we've seen that repetition, money being brought up over and over again. I want to clarify something with that thought. It's, it's not wrong to make money. And it's not wrong to make more money. For example, if um, Kevin is offered a job where he's going to make more money, but he's also going to have more time off with his family, they well, it wouldn't necessarily be wrong for him to take that promotion or to take that drop, you know, take the other job or, or whatnot. Um, you know, if his motives in doing so is so he can do something helpful for his family, helpful for the kingdom, I think that's okay if it's God honoring. So I do want to kind of make that caveat there. It's not wrong to make more money. It's not wrong to, to be wealthy. But we, it's, a, it's difficult, right, to be wealthy and to be godly. So Paul, what we've seen in 
the, the first part of chapter 6, he tells Timothy why we should be content with the necessities and why we shouldn't pursue riches. And he sums that up, verse 7, because you can't take your possessions with you. I mean, how much, how much of all your stuff, and we all have a lot of stuff, how much are you going to leave behind? All of it, right? Yeah. Secondly, riches don't satisfy. And thirdly, pursuing riches oftentimes leads to brokenness and destruction. See verses 9 and 10. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 and 6. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So Paul addressed those who aren't rich but wanted to be. And today in our text, he addresses those who are already rich. Here in verse 17 through 21. And the main point of our text is about stewardship. Firstly, be a good steward of the wealth that God has given you. And secondly, he addresses it to Timothy that he was to be a good steward of the truth entrusted to him. Okay? So that's our two points. First being, the well-to-do should be good stewards of what God has put us in charge of. So firstly, the question I guess we could ask is, who are the rich in this present age? There in verse 17. Well, of course, this is directed to the rich in the church of Ephesus. There were some who were wealthy. And we talked about this already. Well, what about us? How many of you are wealthy? Yeah, you're like, how do I, you know, how do, is that a trick question? Um, yeah, all of us are wealthy. Remember, we talked about that. If you are, if you make in your household, if you make more than $50,000 annually, you're in the top 1% of the world's income earners. We're all wealthy. Okay? We're all wealthy. But what about in our culture? In our culture here, who's, who's wealthy? Anybody wealthy in here? According to our culture standards. And there are, are some. And you're right not to raise your hand because that would make you look prideful. And I'm going to address that in just a second. So I'm glad you didn't do that. I've been like object lesson. Uh, yeah, but we have some people in our church that are, in, in, according to our, in our culture, are well-to-do. They make a lot of money or they have made a lot of money. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Right? Uh, some of the godliest men in the Bible were wealthy. Think of any? Solomon? Yeah. Yeah, well, he started out well, but he, wasn't, he was a knucklehead before it was all said and done, right? Who, who else? Abraham. Abraham. Yeah, Abraham. Yeah, Abraham was very wealthy. Anybody else? Job was really wealthy, like really wealthy. Yeah, we'll talk about him in just a moment. Anybody else? Joseph, yeah. Yeah, for it's all said and done, he was second to man in Egypt, right? He was wealthy. Yeah, Joseph of Arimathea. Yeah, the Bible specifically tells us in Matthew 27, he was wealthy. Yeah, Nicodemus probably as well. Yeah, so you can be godly and you can be rich. Thinking about Job, you remember the story? He's a good example. He, had, he was extremely wealthy. Satan had told God, hey, Job is faithful because of all his stuff. You take all his stuff away, he'll curse you. So God allowed Satan to take his stuff. But Job was faithful still. 
See, Job's hope was in the God who gave him wealth, not the wealth that God gave him. And in return, what happened at the end of his life? He was given that back, right? Yeah, he was wealthy once again. Matthew chapter 19, Jesus tells the disciples something interesting. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for one rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. You remember the story? The rich young ruler, he's, Hey, Jesus, what can I do to in, inherit eternal life? Jesus, well, keep the commandments. And the rich young ruler was, like most rich people, was a little prideful, a little overly confident. Well, I've kept all those. I've done all that. Lord, knowing his heart, okay, take all you got, all your stuff you love, buddy, sell it and give that money to the poor. What happened? Yeah, Matthew 19, 22. The rich man heard this. He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Yeah. Yeah, when, when he tells his disciples, hey, it's easier for a, man, uh, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven, kind of disciples are a little bewildered, right? Then who can be saved? Jesus says, you remember Jesus' response? With man it's impossible, but with God... It is possible. So when I ask you who's in our culture, we're all wealthy. We're all wealthy. I'm looking around. We're all wealthy. You don't know it? Go to a communist third world country. You're, 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 we're all wealthy. But in our culture, who's wealthy? You say, yeah, there's some people in our church that God's just giving them wealth. Can they be godly and be wealthy? Yeah, you can. With God, it's possible. Hey, but it's difficult. It's really difficult. Affluence is a, is a trial. It's a burden. But with God, rich people can know Him and walk with Him. You can be rich and you can be godly. So what Paul does is he addresses the rich. And he gives a charge. Firstly, don't be haughty. See that? Verse 17. Charge them not to be haughty. Haughty means what? Haughty. Conceited, prideful, arrogant. Yeah, full of themselves, right? Yeah, so don't think that money on the money that you have is your, your, from your own doing. You're not self-made, what Paul is saying. And that's difficult for the rich to do. And some of you are thinking, well, I don't know about all that because that ain't me. Yeah, and, and that's not me either. But we see it all the time, don't we? And for some of us, we, we understand that. It's, it's hard for the rich to have all that they have and not be prideful. Because the default mode of any sinful, blessed person is to take credit for it. I'm going to look around, thinking about, I'm looking around, and, and it's, it's interesting. Sometimes people say, well, why do you do that? Or why do you say that? Or why do you do that? Da, 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 da. Well, pastors are in the know a lot of times. I know a lot about people's business. Because people talk to me about their business, right? And they talk to me about their finances. And they talk about their struggles. And they talk about their joys. And they talk about blah, blah, blah. Right? 
Hey, I want to bless the church. Hey, I got a bonus. Hey, I got a, a, a job. Hey, what do you think I ought to do with this money? I want to be faithful to it. So I know a lot about what goes on in people's lives. But what happens when we have a lot? It's real hard not to think it's because of our own doing. I'm looking around at some people who do really, really well in life. And it's really hard for you to not think it's because of me. And we have to fight that off. I mean, anybody that's had success in any way, shape, or form, the, pro- the thought process might go something like this. I have more than other people, therefore I am better. I'm superior. And certainly God sees my superiority, otherwise I would not be so blessed. You think, nah, we don't do that. Yeah, well, we do. And not just with money, any kind of success. Every one of us has felt this... Um, this sense of superiority that creeps in after we make a, maybe it's an, you know, a pretty wise investment move. Maybe a, a new purchase or a big deposit, what happens? This money's chief attraction is the power, to, the power it gives, right? It, it makes us feel good about ourselves we feel that we've made an accomplishment we've done something here right well Paul says don't let that happen Proverbs 30 7 through 9 two things I ask of you deny them not to me before I die remove far from me falsehood and lying give me neither poverty nor riches some of y'all rascals in here praying to win the lottery Praying to win the lottery. Lord, let me win all that money. I'm going to bless the church. People ask me, what would you do if somebody in your church won the lottery? Would you take the money? I said, we're going to use that money for kingdom purposes. What else would you do with it? But this wise man says, don't give me wealth. It ruined me. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? That's what happens when we, we get a lot. We become dependent on our own self, and we don't have to depend on the Lord. I've been close. The, the poorest I've ever been is the time of my life when I was closest to the Lord. When I had the least, is when I pursued God the hardest. We've seen it. We, we lived overseas, and it seems like day in and day out, we're just drawn near the Lord, drawn near the Lord, drawn near the Lord. Didn't have a lot. Come back to the land of heat and air. It's just hard. Have more stuff. What happens? We just become more independent. Yeah. 
Our riches cause us to depend on us and not the Lord. And also, it's easy when we're, we have a lot to look down on others. And when you look down on others, you, you expect to be treated better. I expect to be treated better than them because I'm superior. I'm worth more. I'm more important. Do you look down on other people because they don't have much? Or they don't have as much as you? Maybe. Maybe you ask about who you associate with. Who's your friend group? Are they in the same socioeconomic group as you? Maybe that may be an indicator that you're, yeah. Maybe you look down on other people and you want to associate only with those like you. James chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 is a warning about that. If you pay attention to one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, uh, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not made, then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? That's when you're looking down on other people thinking you're more important than they are. You, you're, you become a judge with evil thoughts. And when you have stuff, a lot of stuff, it's, it's, it's easy to do. So don't be haughty. Secondly, don't put your hope in wealth and forget the Lord. This is what Legan Duncan calls wealth-induced, misplaced hope. Trust in the one who gave you riches, not the riches God gave you. But it's hard when you have a lot. You get distracted and you get dependent on stuff. There was a, a comedian, some of you uh, remember Jack Benny. He joked about his love of money. And he had a skit where he acted out. He was walking along, and an armed robber approached him and stuck a gun under his nose and said, your money or your life? There's kind of this long pause, and Jack Benny, he didn't do anything. And the robber impatiently said, well, Jack, Jack Benny, he replied, don't rush me. I'm thinking about it. And that's what happens. When our stuff, we get attached to it, we hold on to it with white knuckles, right? We get attached to it. But riches are really unstable, aren't they? 2008, remember that? I don't have a lot. And I remember 2008. I had this little IRA, kind of pitiful, worldly standards, you know? I'm like... And my sister's like, she's my investment broker. Quit looking at it. What do I do? Nothing you can do. That's right. There's nothing you can do. But watch it plummet. The little money I have is now a lot less. What about moss and rust and thieves? They can destroy what we treasure, can't they? Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys or where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's really, verse 21 really <laughs> sums it up, isn't it? Wherever your treasure is, where you invest your time, energy, and finances, that's where your heart's going to be. It's true. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5. 
again, the, the, how fleeting wealth can be. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Yeah, again, 2008. So Timothy is warning them not to be haughty. Don't put your hope in earthly riches, fleeting riches. It's kind of like putting your hope in those things. It's like buying a thoroughbred that's worth a lot of money that's on roller skates. You know? Just not very stable. But then, verse 18, Timothy also encourages them. He doesn't just discourage them from doing certain things. He encourages them to use their wealth to help others. And I think he makes it clear here. They're, <clears throat> they're to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share. I, I think these are three statements here, but I think it's three different, uh, not three different good deeds, but I think it's all one and the same, repeated three times. There's repetition here, I think. Why does God give you so much? Why does God give you your job? Why did God give you that promotion? Why does God give you favor with your employer? Yeah, so you can share with others that do good. It's the only time that word there, the Greek word translated do good is used, Acts 14, 17, where it referring to God showering good gifts on his hearers. Do good, what does it mean? It means blessing others, giving, being generous and giving to others, right? So we should use our wealth to bless other people. Why else do you have it? Look at verse 19. There's the incentive to be generous. The incentive to be benevolent is that they're going to amass treasure in heaven, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. We, we said earlier about the rich young ruler, Jesus um, declared to him and Luke 18, 22, when he said, I've, I've kept all the commandments. I've really been a good person. He says, one thing you still like, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor. And what does he say? And you will have treasure in heaven. So Paul's encouraging the wealthy, be generous, be benevolent. Give to kingdom causes. Ken Hughes, he, his commentary, he says, The only riches that will survive this world are those invested by God's people through generous giving. God reconciles us through his free grace. He moves us to serve him and then accepts our services, flawed as they are, and imparts on our services a reward they do not merit. Talk a lot about money. Why, why is that? Because the, the text we just read... Annabeth, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's important because it's important. So what do we do with this first point here? Be, be a good steward of what God has given you, application-wise. I think a couple things. You spend money on what you care most about. So how do you spend your money? On what you care most about. How are you doing with that? Are you investing in kingdom's causes? And he's like, well, what? you're just talking to the wealthy, preacher. 
But by way of application, for all of us, right, we can kind of say, well, how are we spending our money? What do we invest our money in? And students, some of you work, you know. What are you doing with your money? I bought 127 cherry limeades at Sonic the last six months. I mean, think about it. Some of y'all got more money than I do. Paying for something not too long ago with my daughter, and I looked like, girl, you got more money than I've got. You ought to be buying my stuff, right? But kids, you ought to start now, if you're middle school, high school, you start thinking about your money. Do you give to the church? Do you give to kingdom's causes? You should. Get in the habit of doing that. Hey, I got $785 for my birthday. Okay, what are you going to do with that money? I'm going to buy clothes and cherry limeades. And there's nothing wrong with buying a cherry limeade and buying some clothes, but all of it? $750 you're going to spend on yourself? That's not Christian. If I spend all my money on me, you think, man, you're a terrible husband, a terrible father, and a terrible follower of Jesus. So kids, what are you doing with your money? Be a good steward of what God has given you. You got a little money? Be a good steward. Second thing I think in regard to this first point, you know, how are we doing with our wealth? Um, second point I think under that is if your happiness or your hope is tied up with things, you're going to be a nervous wreck trying to prevent those things. So just to ask you, what's your anxiety about? What you all worked up about? And sometimes it's about money and about making the bills, and making the payment, and got a, I got the boat and a this and a that and a do and a do and a do. Maybe just too so strapped, it's just got you all in a. Ah. Maybe you know as you said a couple weeks ago. Maybe you're living, you're not living below your means. All this angst. We maybe we need to, we need to get out from under some of that. That's why you're in a panic. So your hope shouldn't be tied to stuff. And thirdly, be rich towards God. Be rich towards God. There's a fool. Look in Luke chapter 12. Turn to Bible Luke chapter 12 real quick. Page uh, 1035 in the Black Pew Bible. Luke chapter 12. You got it? Luke 12? It's a, it's a, uh, a parable here, Jesus teaching. So the point here, application-wise, is to be rich towards God. Luke chapter 12. Verse 13. We'll just read through this real quickly. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator, arbitrator over you? And Jesus, or they said to him, or Jesus said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So what's going on here? Someone's like, Hey, tell my brother to share some of this with me. Jesus says, well, you're coveting stuff. And then verse 16, Jesus told him a parable. He says, the land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, so you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Verse 20, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, 
whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So, just by way of application, I think, be rich toward God. In other words, invest in eternal things. What are you investing in? Are you investing in kingdom causes? So that's application, I think, for the first point. So be good stewards of the wealth God has entrusted with us. Second point from our text today, back to 1 Timothy 6, verse 20 and 21, Timothy is to be a good steward of what he's been entrusted with. And what is he being entrusted with but the truth? Notice what he says there. Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradiction of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Guard the deposit entrusted to you. That deposit, think about that, is like it's literally money, uh, valuables that's deposited with somebody for safekeeping. Hey, will you keep this for me? And I think this deposit, it can maybe called the faith, maybe the gospel, truth, the apostolic witness, the word. Um, in verse 21, it says, Some have swerved from the faith. But I think he's talking about the truth. You've been given truth. Okay? So how does one keep this deposit safe? Well, firstly, he has to reject the teaching of the false teachers. Contend for it against, you know, contend against false teaching. Like the Bereans in Acts chapter 19. Uh, on Wednesday night, we're talking about the missionary journeys and the Bereans. These folks, Paul left Thessalonica, second missionary journey, and he goes to the Bereans. They, these people were, were more noble than the Thessalonians. I mean, they were godlier, more concerned about the word. And as Paul taught, what did they do? They made sure that what he said was true. Yeah, you continue with the faith. Is this true? Huh? What you just said, Scripture, uh, it doesn't it contradicts. It doesn't match. It doesn't fit. Kick that out. Disregard that. That's, that's not true. That's not biblical. Right? Said that they... Talking about irreverent babble and contradiction, what is falsely called knowledge. They had this... The false teachers there, what they taught, they said was true knowledge, right? But it's false. They were swerving from the faith. And there's a battle we talked about last week. Fight the good fight. We saw one of the verbs, fight, last week, right? Fight against false teaching. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. It says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Okay? So reject the false teachers, reject the false teaching, contend for the faith. But in order to know what truth is, we have to study it, right? We have to know what truth is. And in fact, the verse we just read, 2 Timothy 2, 15, in the, in the King James Version, some of you are, are holding King James in your hand, and it's a great translation. It's just an older English, right? Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So that it actually study, right, uh, to show yourself approved. Yes, we have to know what the Scriptures... And that's easy, right, application-wise. We have to study the Bible. Contend with the faith. Yeah, watch for false teaching. You know, you're, you're, you're around the water cooler, you're at work, and you and your coworker are 
chewing the fat, talking about church and what you learn. Hey, what'd you preach? That, that's easy to do. Y'all all do that. So, yeah, I don't really know how to share my faith or talk about spiritual things. Every Monday. Monday should be the easiest day. Hey, what'd your preacher preach on? And of course, a lot of your folks, they won't go to church, but you ask them anyway. Hey, what'd your preacher teach on yesterday? I don't go to church. Okay, let me tell you what mine taught on you. And you just start saying, hey, these are the points about bring up something about the message. If you, you contend for the faith... And you study the Word. That's a real easy application. You know, we ought to study the Bible. We ought to read the Bible. We ought to study it. And we don't. none of us do that enough, right? And then thirdly, pass it on to others. How do we, how do we guard this? How do we keep this deposit safe? And you got this idea, what would we take a deposit, we put it in, we put it in somewhere safe, and we keep it, right? Keep it out of, out of harm's way. We keep it away from people. We, sh- we don't even tell people we have it. Kevin Ashley gave me $10,000. I don't really trust banks. A little leery. They give it to me, and I put it in my house. I don't tell people I have their $10,000 under my bed in a Folgers jar, right? You don't do that. But, but actually, how we guard the faith, how we guard truth is we, we you know, fight off false teaching. Point that out. We study the word, but then we pass it on to other people. That's how we deposit it. How we safeguard it is we, we give it to others. We teach others what we've been studying. Second Timothy two two is it's a great text. We we talk about that a lot here at Beaver. And what you have heard from me, Paul's telling Timothy, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So this idea of what you've been taught, what you've learned, you ought to be able to give to others. Yeah. And why do we learn these things from the Lord? You're reading your own Bible study. We come here on Sunday morning. Some of you go to small group on Sunday morning, and then we come to worship, and then we, some of you are in small group Sunday night, and then Wednesday night we have Bible study time, and we're learning, we're learning, we're learning. What is all that about? Because we want to grow in our knowledge and our intimacy with the Lord, but we also won't be able to share that with other people. Again, Wednesday, we learn Thursday around the water cooler, around the whatever, at school. Hey, what'd y'all learn at church last night? Of course, most of your classmates, I, I don't go to church. Hey, I went last night. Let me share what I learned. Yeah, just feeding them a little here and there, a little, right? Another way we keep the deposit given to us is to obey what we know. I mean, he says there, avoid the irreverent babble. Irreverent babble. That's um, this talk by the false teachers that doesn't lead to a godly life. We ought to just obey the scriptures. Know what You say, well, I don't know a whole lot. Well, just live out what you know. Obey what you know. I mean, our lives ought to be characterized by obedience. Again, we, we say this a lot. Somebody that you work with, you're around those people mostly, right? Take somebody you work with and it's somebody you live with, and you ask them, describe my life. How would you describe me? Would they say, 
Yeah. Your life is characterized by obedience to the, the word of God. Would that, be a, would that be a characteristic of you? Would they say, ah, he's, he's a pretty obedient person. Yeah. So we have to guard this, be a good steward of what God's given us. Timothy, guard what's been entrusted to you, this truth. Several ways we can do that. And then he ends the, the letter with grace be with you. And that you is plural. So it's addressed not just to Timothy, but ultimately to everybody there in Ephesus, the church there, and ultimately to, to all of us, right? Grace be to you. And we say that a lot, don't we? Just in greeting, hey, grace to you. Grace to you, buddy. Grace to you, sister. Grace to you. Yeah. Reminder, you need grace, and it's a prayer. May God give you grace to do what he wants you to do. If we're going to be good stewards of the wealth God has given us, we need God's grace. If we're going to be a good steward of the truth that he's given us, we need God's grace. It can't be done through our own strength, but through unmerited favor. So let's ask him uh, by way of application here in the second point, in addition to what we already talked about already, is let's ask the Lord to help us. And that should always be the case, right? We leave here. Let's ask the Lord to give us grace and to be good stewards of not just our money, but the truth that I've learned. Because all of us, especially here at Beaver, um, we try to teach the Bible. We, we, we sing, you know, the songs we sing. Um, we try to sing song that's truthful, that's helpful. You know, truth, true songs, we call them. And we teach the Bible. I think, we, you know, we want to do that in our small groups. We want to do that on Wednesday nights. We do that from the pulpit. Teach the Bible. And so I think if you're here, you're going to learn. I think our students, they, they come, a lot of our students, they're really faithful. Every time the doors open, they're here. They're learning. They're growing in their knowledge of the Lord through the Scriptures being taught. But we ask, Lord, help us to be good stewards of that. Help me share that with others. Help me be faithful. Help me be obedient. Help me be discerning to distinguish what's true and what's not. Think about John fifteen five. Jesus I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, can't do anything. Yeah, we need the Lord's grace to help us. So let's pray, and we'll be dismissed today thinking about being good stewards of what God's given us. He's given us wealth and, and prosperity, and all of us are wealthy. There's some here that are really, even in our culture, we're considered wealthy. And are you rich towards God? Are you using your wealth in a way to bless people, and you invest it in kingdom's purposes? Or are you just kind of using it on you? Nicer house, nicer stuff, nicer this, nicer toys, nicer vacation, nicer this, nicer that, nicer clothes, nicer life, blah, blah, blah. Why did God give you all that? Why does God give us all the stuff we have so we can bless others with it? Yeah. We have this truth, this God's Word, and we need to be good stewards of it as well. We're, we're learning, we're growing. Let's share that with others, okay? Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that you are really good to us by giving us your word and teaching us how to be 
good stewards. We've, we've been blessed with jobs, some of us new jobs, some of us promotions, bonuses. And Father, we want to be kingdom-minded, but Lord, we're so distracted. We get so caught up in having a, a nice, nice set of cabinets or countertops or flooring or nice car or nice clothes, nice shoes, nice whatever. We live in a culture that's constantly preaching to us that we need more stuff. But you tell us we need to be content with necessities and all that we have we need to be using for your kingdom's purposes. I pray you would help us all to be better with our money. We'd invest in kingdom's work where our treasure there is, there our heart is also. Father, for those that were, were here week in and week out, we're learning a lot. Help us to be good stewards of truth. Lord, may we not just be students of the word, avoiding false doctrine, false teachers, but may we be sharers, proclaimers of your word as well. And Father, I recognize that here today there's most likely somebody who's not a believer. They've yet to come to a point where they're broken over their sin. They've yet to come to a point where they've been poor in spirit. They recognize that they're spiritually bankrupt and they need you. So I pray that you would reveal to them their need for you today. That they would see that they're a sinner, that they've not good stewards of anything you've given them because they're self-absorbed. And may they place their faith and trust in the work and the work of Jesus. And we are thankful for Christ who died, who was buried, and who rose on the third day so that we sinners could be reconciled to you. We recognize not only have you given us wealth, given us your word as well, but you've given us salvation, and that's a, a precious gift. But for those who don't have it, Father, may you reconcile sinners to you. Help us, Father. Give us grace to obey you in every area of our life. May we leave. You give us grace to obey you today and apply this text to our lives. Help us to make adjustments in how we spend our money and how we spend our time and how we study or we don't study the Word. May you make a change in us today. Do today's work in us. It's going to make us more like Jesus and be a church that gives you glory. Father, as we think about the week and think about tonight's small groups, may you bless those efforts and use that time to encourage your church. Father, for our time Today, as we have a funeral today for a family in our church, may you use that to proclaim the gospel and to love them. And as we meet tomorrow night and Tuesday for Mr. Glenn's funeral, may you use that, use the teaching of your word and the love of the church to, to, to help this family grieve well. Father, as we come Wednesday, may you bless our efforts as we study. Bless us this week. Give us grace. In Jesus' name, amen.